As we jump into this text this morning, I want to just kind of share four things that, that might be helpful for us as we're kind of working our way through this, this confusing text. And so here's the first thing. These are, these are not notes. These are just some kind of disclaimers for you. First thing is this, that we're not going to be able to cover every verse. And we're not going to be looking at every word in Mark chapter 13 this morning. If, if we had four hours together, we would do that. And I would love that. But trust me, you would not love that. And so... Um, we have about 30 minutes this morning. We're going to be looking at this text, which means that we're going to be able to, to dig into detail every, every part here, the, uh, which, which means that you're probably not going to have all your questions answered. Um, I found myself reading through this text this week, and I feel like I have a laundry list of questions more than I do answers. And so I just want you to know if, if you leave this morning with more questions than um, you have answers, that's a good thing. Um, and that's okay. The second thing I want to share with you is that this is a very confusing text. And all week, I've just been trying to get my mind around, God, how do I teach this in a simple way? How do I teach this in a, a truthful way? How do I teach this in a gospel way? And the reality is that it's just confusing. So if you leave more confused than when you came, like you're with me, like we're in the same place and I did my job. So uh, it's confusing. Let's just embrace the confu- confusion. The third thing is this, Jesus is going to share some, some hard yet comforting words about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That in this life, because Jesus loves us, sometimes he speaks to things that we don't want to hear, but the things that we need to hear. If we will posture our hearts, for some of us, this can be very comforting. The fourth thing is this. Um, the, the takeaway from this text is, is worth all the confusion and all the hard stuff and all the questions. And I want to just kind of give us one big idea to, to kind of unpack, to think about that as you think about Mark 13 in the context of today, like I, I, we're going to come back to this text. I'm sure several years from now, you're going to hear this text taught on again. You're going to read this and you're going to see things and notice things. But for our time together today, I want us to think about this one big truth that, that there is only one who is worthy of all of our affection and all of our attention, all of our love and all of our devotion. And it is Jesus Christ. That the big idea from Mark chapter 13 is that there is only one who is worthy of all of our affection and all of our attention, all of our devotion, all of our love, and it's Jesus Christ. And so all week I've been reading through this and I'm going, man, this is confusing and, and this is hard and I don't understand this, but all week I'd come to the end of Mark chapter 13 and there was just this joy in my heart, this smile on my face as I kept thinking about this reality that at the end of the day, Jesus alone is exalted above everything. Everything else in this life, and he alone is worthy of all that we are, all that we have. So this morning, I want to kind of give us three movements that we're going to be walking through this text. The first one is, is Jesus is exalted. This reality that Jesus Christ is exalted. We're going to read the first 13 verses of Mark chapter 13. And I just want to say before we read this, just bear with me. Um, I want to invite you to, to really read it with me, to hear it. There are going to be a lot of things that as we read through it, you're going to, your mind's going to try to start deciphering. You're going to try to start applying. And I just, I want us to hear it together before we start digging into it, okay? So do whatever you got to do to, to let's just, to read these 13 verses together and then we'll start unpacking it. So Mark chapter 13, verse one. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, What massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Jesus replied, do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, 
Peter, James, John, and Andrew ask Jesus privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. But you, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and you'll be flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever's given you at that time, for it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. And everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Okay, what a real pick me up, right? <laughs> you had a great weekend until just now. And I love that Jesus doesn't give them and he doesn't give us a false picture. So Jesus Christ, where we are in the book of Mark, um, is a few days away from being crucified. And Jesus knows that in just a few days that um, when the 12 apostles are, they're no longer going to have his tangible physical presence with him like they have the past three years. And Jesus looks at his 12 closest friends, his followers, and he wants them to know the reality of what life is about to look like. And I want us to notice this, man, what incredible wisdom and grace from Jesus. Like, I love this. He doesn't look at Peter and his disciples and say, hey, guys, from now on, when I leave, like every time you show up and, and you share your faith with someone, like it's going to be this magic moment where, where they're going to believe and you're going to baptize them and you're going to see the Holy Spirit come down on them in fire. Jesus doesn't say this to them. He doesn't look at his disciples and say, hey, every time you go to church, every time you're, you're standing and, and, and you're preaching the gospel, it's not going to always fall on soft hearts and open, receptive ears. I love that Jesus doesn't give them this false picture. He, he lays out for them the truth because he wants them to know that when he is gone, things are going to be hard. And he wants them to remember these words. You know, I was thinking about my life and Courtney and I, we have some friends that are a couple years ahead of, uh, uh, I don't know what word I just said there. They're a couple years ahead of us with their children. And I remember when, when like that process before, that time before when we had kids in our marriage, it's like what I needed from my friends was to tell me what life with kids was actually like, Right. Like, I didn't mean to have friends to look at me and say, Brandon, it's amazing. When you have kids, you start getting more sleep than ever. And, and you've got all this free time to just enjoy God and to hang out with your friends and intimacy with your wife just skyrockets after kids. And like, I needed my friends to sit me down and to say, Brandon, when you have kids, like, you're never going to sleep again. And, and you're going to have to fight really hard to, to go on dates with your wife. And you're going to have to fight really hard to, to be with God. I needed people to, who, who were living it, who knew it, to look me in the eyes and to tell me the truth about what I was about to step into, about what life was going to look like. 
And we see the wisdom and the grace and the tenderness of Jesus Christ, our King. He says, you need to know what life is actually gonna be like when you can no longer see me. I wanna help us get our minds around these first 13 verses the best I can. And um, this is funny because I don't feel like I have my mind around it very well. So it's always hard to teach something that it's like not really sunken in your head. Um, but I have had some clarity, um, I think in this one regard about Mark chapter 13. All week as I was just preparing and thinking, it felt like God was just drilling this one, this thought deep down in my heart. That all of, all of this life that we live is this constant unveiling. That the longer that you and I live, the more clearly we see things for what they are. And Jesus tells us these things in Mark chapter 13, I believe, because he wants us to understand that, that you and I, we have this tendency to give the best of our affection, the best of our devotion and love and attention to things that aren't able to hold them. So here's what I'm talking about. Jesus, in the first few verses, um, he addresses the temple, okay? And in their world, the, the temple was kind of the center of their lives in many ways. You see, the temple was, uh, was so crucial to their spiritual well-being. It was their connection to God. It's a place that they came to worship, to be with other people. It came the place that they came to, to pray, to, to know that they were forgiven by God. It was like vital to their spiritual connection, their spiritual relationship. You see, but the temple was also this incredibly magnificent structure that you and I, reading through Mark chapter 13, we just totally miss. So I was doing some research this week and what I realized about the temple that these disciples are talking about, they, they're walking out of this structure, they see this temple and here's what you and, I, you and I need to know what's helpful for us, that the temple took 50 years to build. Could you imagine how mad we would be at our mayor if it took 50 years to build something in Nashville? Like 50 years to build this. Can you imagine how big, how intricate, how beautiful? I read that, that there were some stones that were, were put in the temple. And so you think about the way that buildings are built today and you know, they have these big blocks and we have brick, but in the world, they, they literally had these huge stones. I read that, that stones that went into building the temple, some of them were 42 feet long, 11 feet high, 14 feet deep. That one stone that was put in the temple weighed over a million pounds. I read this this past week that the magnitude of the temple and the stones used to construct it exceeded in size any other temple in the whole ancient world. You see, the temple was a huge deal to them. Their tax dollars went to build it. Many of them were labored out to come in and to play a part in building the temple, like their sweat, their money, their, their spiritual well-being was completely tied to the temple. And Jesus looks at this temple who, uh, you can just kind of imagine the, the, the very center of their lives. And I was just kind of laughing because it sounds like Jesus is like the ultimate Debbie Downer, like the pessimist in this story. They're, they walk out and they're like, man, look how amazing the temple is. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, it's going to fall down. It's like. <laughs> but as I was reading this week, I think the reason he does this is because Jesus has the eternal perspective on all things. 
Because Jesus cares deeply about us giving the best of our affection and attention to things that can actually stand, to things that can actually carry that weight. You know, I go, what are the things in our lives that that we tend to center our lives around? As you look at your life, what are the things that hold your greatest affection, your greatest devotion? Is it a degree from a particular university? Is it a career or a job? Is it money or being known or our children? What are the things that that we wake up and we live and we breathe for, that we give the best of our lives to? Jesus is looking and he says, man, you got to understand that there is only one who can carry and, and sustain the best of your life, and it's me. There's this guy from my hometown and he's kind of thinking about his life and just this amazing guy. And for 40 years, his, his life was kind of about his work. Lived for it, loved it, was good at it. Then after 40 years, this organization kind of just pulled the, the rug out from under him. See you later. These things that we give so much of our life to. And we see how futile they are, how quick they are to just go. Think about this when a couple years ago when the market kind of crashed and uh, when everyone's 401k was just empty. This is even before I knew what a 401k was. And I'm like, that's probably a big deal. I don't know what it means. And, and I realized, oh man, the, the thing that people have been saving and it's gone. Think about so often these things that we we just give and give and give of ourselves to and how quickly they don't stand. How quickly they are exposed for what they are. I was thinking about, you know, I'm a huge Kentucky basketball fan. We endure football season to get to basketball season. And I remember in 2012, um, it's just this great year for us. And I remember that entire year, like Courtney and I were just all about it, like, recorded every game, you know, cancel our plans with our friends. We'd stay home from church to watch these games. You know, I'd make up excuses of being sick so I could stay home and, and, and watch the games. And I remember we were sitting in our old house, sitting on the couch on that Monday night when Kentucky won the national championship. And she and I just looked at each other and we're like, well, that was very anticlimactic. Like, like we gave so much of our life to to this one moment, and then I realized, oh, that was not worth it. <laughs> Early on in my ministry here at Ethos, I would talk more about Ethos than I would Jesus. That I was so excited about what God was doing here, what God was doing among us, that I could just sit and talk for hours about, oh man, let me tell you about all the amazing people, all these amazing volunteers. Let me tell you about our baptism Sunday. Let me tell you about all the ways that we're serving. And it's like if you were to be a fly on the wall, you'd be like, man, that guy loves ethos more than he does Jesus. And I remember Dave saying this. He said, do you know that one day ethos is gonna be gone? And I'm like, oh yeah. Like, how many churches do you know that are 1,800 years old? <laughs> that this is the way that things work, that churches rise and churches fall. 
And this is a, 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 a moment for us, I think, where, where Jesus is looking at us. And, and because he loves us, he wants us to spend the, the best of our lives, use the best that we have in things that can actually carry that weight. Like our worth and our value was, was never meant to be in, in what we do and how much money we have, what education we have. That should we give all of the best that we have to those things, they will only disappoint us because Jesus loves us. He knows that, that he alone can carry that weight. That the only one that can carry all of our affection and all of our devotion is him. And he doesn't want us to look back on a life decently lived where we evaluate our lives and we go, man, we spent way too much of our life investing in things that, that don't last, that don't satisfy, that weren't ever meant to hold our affection. I love Hebrews chapter 13, verse eight, where the writer says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. I love 1 Timothy where Paul says that, that Jesus, that he is invisible, he is eternal, he's immortal, the only God. And I think Jesus is, is God is here this morning in Mark chapter 13 because he wants us to understand that only he is exalted. Everything else in this life will crumble, will fall, will be exposed for what it is. Jesus Christ alone is exalted. Second movement in our text is, man, this reality that Jesus Christ will return. Jesus Christ will return. I love verse 26 and verse 27. Look with me. It says, at that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. Now there's some cute, confusing stuff in here. Let me just try to clear up for you real quick. That word elect, it just throws us off, right? We read that and we're like, man, that's not me. That can't be me. The idea of being elect is someone who just, who loves and, and follows God. Someone who has been secured in Christ. Someone who has, by faith, stepped into life with God. Elect is just this way of talking about the people of God, the people who, who long for God, who love God, who are clothed in Christ. Don't let that word scare you. I want to, to, the weight of verse 26 to really sink in. I just invite you to, to listen to these words. Maybe to close your eyes. I'm going to read it to us. Verse 26, it says, At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds, with great power and great glory. Let the weight of that sink in for a minute. You guys can open your eyes. You know, you think about this. Um, for those of us who are followers in Christ, I mean, we have seen his glory and his power. Like if you are a follower of Christ, you have beheld, you have seen, you've tasted his glory and his power. And in moments in your life where you've understood that God isn't just some cosmic being, but that he's aware of you, that he loves you. Think about those moments in your life where you understood that, that God doesn't just tolerate you, but he delights you, delights in you. 
Think about a moment in your life where you have seen, where you've experienced the power and the glory of God. What does it do in your heart? Isn't it true, man, that when we see God for who he is, when we encounter him, when this mysterious and, and, and powerful God becomes seeable and knowable, isn't it true that our hearts just want more of him? I think about moments in my life, whether it's been in, in deep moments of pain and confusion and when God has drawn near or moments where, where I've prayed a prayer and God has answered specifically and directly and clearly moments in my life where I've seen the glory and the power of God and my heart's response is to always want more of God. I want to see you more, God. I want to know you more. I want to walk more faithfully with you, God. I want, I want to be with you in heaven. I want to see you in all of your glory and all of your power. And for those of us who are following Jesus, isn't it true that when you see him, you always want more? He's big. Christ is big and he is powerful and it is mysterious and unexplainable, but, but God is real. I love the contrast that we see in Mark chapter 13. That the things in this world that we so often spend our time pursuing, the temple, people's approval, when they're exposed for what they are, they always disappoint us. Yet the exact opposite of, is true of Christ. That Christ is the only one, the only thing that won't disappoint us. But more than that, that one day we will realize how much we lowballed it, how, how much we underestimated Christ, how little we really knew of his power and his glory. For a lot of my life, I've read and heard of verse 26 and 27 and just being as transparent as I can, my honest first reaction is to be fearful. And maybe some of you experienced that just a minute ago as you think about Christ returning and, and I've spent a lot of my life thinking about that moment and being so filled with fear and here's the reason why, because I'm still a moralist in so many ways instead of a follower of Christ. That when I think about standing in front of Christ, I so often put my head down and I think about how terrible it's going to be because in so many ways, I'm still thinking about that, that God views me based on my own righteousness, my own doing. And the reality is that for those of us who are in Christ, that will not be the reality. I don't believe. That Christ has completely covered us taken every sin of ours and that the day we stand face to face and see our maker will be a glorious day for our father and for us there's this little girl 10 years ago um, was riding on the plane going down to Dallas and sitting beside this little girl and started talking to her mom and uh really cool we kind of struck up this really interesting conversation and she was telling me about the little girl that was sitting in between us and she said you know uh, three years ago my husband and I we decided to adopt and so we went to to Kazakhstan and that's where we wanted to adopt from and so we went into this orphanage and we walked in we're talking to the person who was taking care of all the orphans and they said we want the one that no one else wants and they point over in this corner this little girl sitting there she's pulled all of her hair out fearful of people, didn't want to be around people, scared of people. Three years later, she's sitting on the plane with this beautiful jet black hair, this beautiful little smile. 
And she was so fearful of, of this unknown person, this woman that she'd never seen before. And she didn't realize that this woman was going to be the one who had come to claim her. To give her a home, to give her a family, to love her, to pour into her. And I just kept thinking about that story, this that Christ is promised and he will come back to claim his people. That Christ is coming back to claim his children. That one day, Stephen, you'll stand face to face and you'll see your maker. The one who died for you. That every single one of us, will stand face to face and see our savior. We will look the one in the eyes who took our sin. We will look the one in the eyes who took our shame. We will look the one in the eyes who, when we sinned, when we rebelled, chose not to give up on us. Who chose to die for us. And we will meet this God. And we will see real love face to face. Christ will return. I love this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, where Paul says, For now I know in part, but then I shall fully know that we've tasted, but we've only had an appetizer of the goodness and the glory and the power of God. Christ will return. The third movement in our text this morning is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Look with me in verse 32. It says, but about the day, so when Christ returns, about that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. I don't understand all that. That's confusing. Listen to what he says in verse 33. So be on your guard and be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It's like a man who goes away. He leaves his house and he puts his servants in charge. I love that imagery. Each with their assigned task. And he tells the one to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch. Because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. And if he comes suddenly, don't let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. And Jesus keeps saying this all throughout Mark chapter 13. Watch, be alert, be on your guard, keep watching, watch. And I'm going, man, what in the world does he mean? Does it mean that, that Devin and I and Aaron and I, and does it mean that Nick and I were supposed to wake up every morning and, and just go outside and, and watch in the skies for Christ to come back? Is that what he's talking about? Like This idea of being alert. It means to be honed in on something. To notice, to be aware. This idea of, of being awake, it's this idea of being fully present. And I think Christ is inviting us as his people to, to, to be honed in. To be fully alive, to be fully present to Christ in us. In the mission that he's given us to do. I love verse 10 where he says the gospel, it must be preached to all nations. If you think that life with God is just about Sundays, you've missed it. I've missed it. If we make this time out to, to be just about reaching our neighbors, we've missed it. We've set the bar too low. Jesus says the goal for your life is the nation's. 
He's inviting us to be awake, to be alert to this reality that Christ is with us and that our job is to make the gospel to the nations. You know, one of the great benefits of preaching is that as I'm preparing, I get to start practicing this stuff, start trying this on before I ever stand up here and teach it. So on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, I was just going, okay, I'm gonna try to, to really be intentional about thinking about Christ, thinking about his mission in my life. So I come home from work and I'm thinking about Christ. I'm thinking about this reality that he's gonna come back. I'm thinking about the work that he's given me to do to take the gospel to the nations. And, and suddenly little fights with my wife aren't that big a deal. And when Finley doesn't do what I tell her the first time, it's, it's okay. And when I don't feel great about my sermon and when I have lots of work to do, it's, it's okay. See, when I was thinking about Christ, there was just this peace, this joy, this perspective. And I was thinking about his de desire for us to be people who take the gospel to people who don't yet know him. I was thinking about what that looks like for Courtney and I. Invited our neighbors over for supper. Thinking about what that looks like for us to be people that, that pray for what's going on in the Middle East. To open our lives up to maybe God is, is trying to, to send us, to use us for something bigger than ourselves for the purpose of the gospel coming to the nations. It was so fun, it was so joyful, so peaceful, thinking about God Tuesday and Wednesday. And then Thursday happened. And let me tell you about how different I was on Thursday. I'm playing in this flag football league with some of my coworkers. And Thursday I get home from work and all I could think about was this stupid flag football game. And I go home and we play this, we, I go and play, we play terribly. And I come home and I'm laying in bed, I can't fall asleep because of this stupid football game. Friday, I'm not thinking about Christ. Saturday morning, I'm not thinking about Christ. And, and it's so, man, just, I knew it on Tuesday and Wednesday. I forgot it on Thursday and Friday. You ever been there? Jesus knows that there's joy that comes in life when our hearts and our minds are locked in on him and his mission. I was having coffee with one of my friends on Tuesday morning and he was just kind of telling me, you know, Brandon, I've not been thinking about Christ very much recently. And I could tell that God was stirring something in his heart. And he said, this week, he said, I'm gonna commit. I'm gonna get up every day, an hour before work and I'm just gonna be with God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna be in scripture. And he said that. And there was just like rejoicing going off in my heart. Because what I know is that anytime someone creates space in their life to be with God, that that person is gonna find joy, that that person is going to find God. And it's not always the case that every time you sit down and open the scriptures, every time you get down on your knees and pray, it's not like you always have one of these like 4th of July fireworks moment, but more time than not, when you create space in your life to be with God, when you seek him, you find him. I saw God at work in my friend. On Friday night, we were hanging out with some friends and one of my friends was just kind of telling us, she said, you know, I'm not very good about pursuing lost people, people who don't know Christ. 
And I sat there and I was listening to her and something in my heart was just going off. So I'm going, man, when you realize that, that you don't care about lost people, that is the Holy Spirit of God working in you. That when you start to care about something that Christ cares about, it is the Holy Spirit of God working in you. To live our lives with Christ, giving ourselves to the mission of Christ is so full, so fulfilling, so joyful, so satisfying. And I think the misinterpretation that we can so often pull uh, from hearing things like this, from thinking about this, is since Christ and his mission is all that matters, I'm just gonna say goodbye to everything else in life. Like, if quiet time with God and, and taking the gospel to the nations is all that matters, and okay, I'm gonna leave my wife and my kids, and I'm gonna go spend three years in the Middle East. I'm gonna drop out of school. I'm gonna quit my job. I'm never gonna go to a Titans game ever again. And the world does not need us to withdraw. The people of God have been a withdrawn people for too long. The world needs us to be bearers of the gospel into every person's life in Nashville and beyond. You see, because the reality is that we're living in the midst of a culture. We're living in the midst of a world. We're living in the midst of nations, not full of bad people. We're living in the midst of people who are just simply investing their lives in things that, that will not satisfy. That were never meant to hold the fullness of their affection and devotion. And because as a people of God, we are for the people of the world. Because we love the people of the world. It is our job to help them see and experience and know Christ. And part of what it means to be fully awake is that is that you and I, as the people of God, we think about Christ. We keep this front and center on our minds and our hearts. And when we're hanging out with our friends on Friday night, we don't check out. And when you come here for a concert on Thursday night, we don't check out. We, we don't set Christ and his mission aside. When you go into the Titans game on Sunday afternoon, when you're having lunch with your friends, when you're at the park with other parents, we don't set aside Christ and his mission. Part of what it means to be fully awake is that in our pursuit of our education, part of living in our careers, part of living in marriage, part of parenting, these things are not ends in and of themselves. They are platforms to be fully awake your job, your marriage, your free time are platforms to live with Christ, to live like Christ, to talk of Christ, to invite people to know Christ. And I'm so comfortable about what Jesus says in verse 13. He says, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Stands firm is this idea of persevering. It's this idea of refusing to stop. You know, every single one of us, we're gonna face things that are gonna make us just wanna quit sometimes. We're gonna have moments in life where it's just gonna feel like Christ has abandoned us. We're gonna feel like we are all alone. We're gonna feel like no one cares about God. We're gonna feel like our families are against us and our friends are against us. We're gonna feel like people think we are crazy because we are walking with God. Jesus says, he who perseveres to the end, he who keeps his eyes on the mission and the person of Christ, 
that person will be saved. You know, the reality is that only God knows what each, and each of us are gonna go through in this life, the heartaches, the struggles. And sometimes we're gonna go through these things and God will use those moments to help wake us up. That we'll realize that we've just been coasting through life. We've been going to church, but our heart has not been beating for God. Our heart has not cared or thought about lost people at all. And Christ will use circumstances sometimes to help awaken us. And when you face those moments, man, just repent. Don't kick yourself or have taken your eyes off of it. Don't sit in shame. Repent and be thankful that you serve a God who loves you enough to keep inviting you into deeper waters. And sometimes we'll face these situations in life. We'll face struggles. We'll face struggles in our family, in our, in our lives, in our jobs. And Jesus in Mark 13 says, hey, you're going to go through this. Just so you know, don't be surprised when these things come along. So you remember when, when life starts happening, doesn't mean it's God's judgment on your life. Doesn't mean that you're far from God. Jesus says these things, struggles and heartache and suffering and pain come as a result of just being a human being. So persevere. Here's where I want us to end today. One day we will see Christ. We will see our maker. It's like, David, you think Katie loves you? Wait till you look Christ face to face and see real love. It's like, Kevin, you think your family loves you? Wait till you see Christ face to face. I can't wait to see Christ. To look into the eyes of the one who took it all for me. Who gave me his righteousness, who took all of my sin who's been preparing a place, who will come back, who will claim his own. You will see true love face to face. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're gonna take communion here in just a minute. I wanna give us two things to do today. The first is a challenge. I'm gonna invite you to memorize 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. If you've never memorized a passage of scripture before, this is a beautiful one to memorize. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ Jesus is revealed at his coming. And challenge you to memorize 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, and to say this, to speak this as a way to remind yourself who you are, what God has for you. The second thing that I have for you this morning is a question for you to think about in communion. And so we're gonna break the bread, we're gonna drink the cup. And the reason that we do this is a, to remember Christ, to remember that, that he is our everything, that he's our hope, he's our salvation. And I just wanna invite you to evaluate if you're a Christian, have you been living wide awake to Jesus and his mission? To take communion and to answer that question, have you been living wide awake to Christ and his mission? And if you have, man, praise God. If you haven't, confess and repent and invite the, the people that you're taking communion with to help hold you up. Set your heart on the man and the mission of Jesus Christ. For those of you who are not followers of Jesus, what, a, what does God want for you? What do I want for What do we want for you? That you would see, that you would know Christ and that you would see and you would know Christ now. That you would start receiving from your maker his forever presence.
that you would receive from your maker the forgiveness of all of your sin and the weight that is removed when you give that to God. And you'll understand that gratitude and affection and devotion to God is replaced. What do we want for you as people who follow God, who know God? That you would invest all of your affection, all of your devotion, all of your life, that you give the best that you have to Christ and he will not disappoint. So here in just a minute, we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you wanna know Christ, you wanna step into this life, I love what Jesus tells in Luke chapter 11. If you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open, but you have to take a step. And there are gonna be some women at the respond band, there'll be some men at the respond band, or if you rather talk to someone your own gender, there'll be some people back there to answer questions, to pray for you, to talk you through what this looks like. If you are not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, we invite you all the way in this morning. And if you ask to know God, you will know God. That's the kind of God he is. That's what he promises in scripture. And Jesus is the greatest truth teller to ever live. Christ Jesus alone. Let's pray.